0: Okay, if you could turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6 and stand with me if you would. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures, the words will be on the screen for you. And from what I understand, they can be read now. I can't see them, they're behind me. So there you go. God love you. I'm just trying to help you all out. All right, Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to do this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is God's Word. You may be seated. Thank you, Father. Titled the message this week, it's the last little bit of the series that we've been doing called Life Together. Um, I've titled the message God's Provision Through God's People. God's provision through God's people. I thought that was as good a title as any. I I, I had another one that I found to be kind of, I don't know, almost smart-alecky. So I parked that one and thought that it was rather cute, but it stayed in my book in my office. This one here is God's provision through God's people. And what I want us to really... (laughs) It's the Massachusetts in me. (laughs) What I really want us to understand and focus on this morning as we go through this text is that any challenge that we face, any challenge we face... God always has just what we are going to need in the midst of that challenge waiting right in the midst of us as His people. And learning to live together as a community, which is the whole thing of living together, learning to live together as a community, especially in transitions, can prove to be a very unnerving thing sometimes. But it is absolutely essential that we learn to do these things for growth and for maturity as the body of believers. So this week I was supposed to look at membership. Um, And that is what we're doing in a very roundabout kind of way. It's kind of the long introduction to the short course of the old rugged cross, as it were, as a buddy of mine always used to say. We'll get to that and what it really looks like. But what I want us primarily to be looking at, however, this week is to set the stage for what membership looks like and how it works itself out completely as we get back into the book of Ephesians next week. For those of you who have been wondering if we're going to get back there, we are. For those of you who didn't want to go back there, we are. Um, (laughs) We will do well because I think Ephesians 4, where we're going to pick up, As we start again next week and taking a look at that, it's a wonderful place for us to see exactly how and why it is the body of Christ functions in a healthy way. Looking at the first 16 verses of Ephesians 4 that I'm going to encourage you in, uh, we're going to discover a map that Paul gives us. It's a map, actually, that drives us, essentially, towards being a healthy church. Let's just take a minute. I need to pray for you. We're going to stop. okay? Father, as we just... We continue on in your word. I just want to pray for Irene. You know know what's going on there, Lord, and just seeing her face. I just want to lift her up to you. And as a body, we covenant together. I pray your covering over her. I pray your peace be upon her. I ask, Lord, that you would just settle her heart. You would remind her of the things that she knows. You would remind her of the things that she knows. That you are a God who hears her prayer. That you are a God who wraps her in the palm of your hand. That you are a God who has her times in your hands. You struggle when she struggles. And you walk the road that she walks. Father, I pray that you lift her up and you give her everything that she needs. Even right to this moment. Right at this moment in time. I pray these things, Father, I lift her up to you. Thank you for her. Thank you for her tender heart. And I pray, Lord, that you would just, you would keep her in your comfort. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. What we're going to see when we get into Ephesians is three things. We're going to see the unity of the body, the unity of the body, the giving of leaders as gifts to that body in order to bring about the works of ministry so that we can learn to minister to one another. Primarily seen today in the pastor, teacher, or leader. That's just by default, not because I'm up here trying to make sure i got job security. That's just what the Bible tells us, how it works out. And then maturity for God's people in and for the work of ministry that they're called to. So we have unity, we have ministry, we have maturity, all going in a certain direction in Ephesians chapter 4. And discovering there that we have to be unified in mission, and we have to be unified in vision under the leadership and the headship of the elders that God places over the churches. With the pastor in that church being the leader among equals as we are all Elders together, praying together for what it is the Lord wants for us. And the pastor's primary role is to be where I am right now, functioning as the teacher, the one who opens up the scriptures and walks us through these things. All of this for the purpose of raising up well discipled people within a community of believers and followers of Jesus who are for or are working for ministry and towards healthy ministry. That's what Ephesians 4, all packed in the first 16 verses has, and we'll get to that. And it's probably going to take us at least three weeks to map that out. We're not going to rush through that because it's critical for us to understand that. And it's important for us to get that into our spirits and let that sit in our DNA as we go forward as God's people for his world. As his church in this world, this is how his name gets out. This is how the ministry grows, is that we are his people operating in his world. He left us here for that express purpose of being the church in the world. Not hidden away, but being the church in the world. In order that we can be a light in a dark place for people who are in need. There may be a time when somebody just comes to you and says, I just need to talk for a minute. Being a light in a dark place. Holding somebody up in prayer. Standing in the place of somebody. That's what he left us here for. In order to do that, we have to be very healthy. We have to understand our Bibles. We have to know who we are grounded in and who we are focused on. It is upward and it's outward. So, most of you are probably sitting here at this point after I've read Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, wanting to know what on earth does that have to do with Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Because, in the whole grand scheme of things, as we take a look at what Luke wrote here, isn't he really just showing us how it is we pick deacons and make sure that women get the food they need to eat? Isn't that really what's going on? It is a pretty simple story when you look at it that way after all. But I would say to you this morning that that story, this story in Acts chapter 6 in the first seven verses, is not that simple of a story. In fact, the issue that they encountered here in Acts chapter 6 at the very early stages of the church, if it were handled incorrectly... The church would have been fractured at that point, and it would not have moved forward in the way in which it did move forward. It's critical that they understood what was really going on here and stepped forward in a very healthy way. So I want to take a little bit today to look at the problem which came up shortly after the church was launched in Jerusalem. The day of Pentecost had come, the 120 had turned into a whole bunch more people, at least 3,000 people. They had an explosion going on. And oftentimes, in the midst of that, we think that the early church was completely devoid of any kind of issue, any kind of struggle, or any kind of controversy or problem. We think that all was well and good, and it went from here to there to there, and all of that stuff, and the people just journeyed out of Jerusalem without any issue whatsoever to go tell people about this Jesus. But that really couldn't be farther from the truth. That's why Luke records for us in Acts all of these things. Because right off the bat, within the church, once we leave Acts chapter 2, we run into issues. We look at Acts chapter 5 with this dude by the name of Ananias and his wife Sapphira who want to play this little one-upmanship game with Barnabas and they want to go sell their house and and give the money just like he did but not quite give all the money. They wanted to hold it back. And then they tried to deceive Peter and the church by saying we didn't didn't hold anything back. Well, that didn't end well for them, did it? We find out in Acts chapter 5 that they were stricken down at the altar and then fear gripped the church. God cannot be mocked, nor can God be deceived or snuck around. So we have to understand when human beings gather together, when human beings are involved within a situation, it is simply a fact that we won't always get along. We won't always be completely honest with one another. We won't. Nor will we always do the right thing when we should. It's part of human nature. We are all human beings after all. As I said, we are just broken clay pots journeying in this world, as Paul tells us, with a whole bunch of other broken clay pots. And because that's the truth, problems are never far behind. They are never far behind. We would save ourselves a lot of time as God's people and a lot of heartache if we would just face this reality head on. We don't. Forgive me for putting this out there, but this is how we grow together. I preach this to myself all week. So, me first, it comes to you next. If we would just face this head on and grab on to what we need to grab on to, which is the grace of God as the unifying factor of His people for His people, the grace of God, we are all broken. Every single one of us sitting in this worship center, we are all just broken in different ways. I got my own set of broken that I'm having a hard time with. I could go all around this room and every one of us have our own set of broken that we sometimes don't want to share. We put the church face on and we walk in the front door and we go, all's good when you're dying inside. How do we know to pray for one another? If we don't say, I'm not doing well, can you pray for me? Okay, these are the things that we have to take a look at. So, we're broken. He's put us together, however. How does that work itself out? Because if we're also honest with ourselves and we look around the room, perhaps we would have chosen a bit of a different demographic. We might not have had the same people that are all gathered here if it were up to us. Just being honest. I mean, let's think about that for a minute. We fall in love with one another because God put us together, because God knit us together within this community of believers. It is His grace that has put us here. But left to ourselves as human beings, we probably would have chosen just a little bit differently. So to understand this truth, if we can get this into our spirit, relieves us of this battle that many people face within the church on a regular basis. This battle of why can't we all just get along like we're the best of friends and we're one big happy family. Now I don't know about you, my friends, but my family on its best of days is not one big happy family. We get along, we love one another, but as my uncle said, I'd never seen three people in the living room arguing in four different things and not one of them's winning. We aren't always one big happy family and we aren't the best of friends because frankly that's not how it works as human beings. Let's get this out in front of us. Not allow the enemy to try and utilize that to manipulate different things. But God, in his grace, has knit us together here in this place. In and through Christ. What that then means is we are unified in his spirit. And when we learn to walk in that, things look a little bit differently. We simply learn to walk in that as well as the grace of God to love others, most especially those who are unlovable. And I can say that because I'm fairly certain at least five days a week, I'm the unlovable one in the equation. So we all are at some point the one that somebody struggles with. But make no mistake, loving people into the unity of God, through the grace of God, because of what Jesus has done for us, does not come natural for us as human beings. If we can look in the mirror at ourselves and say, this is not how I naturally think, by default, I don't like people because I don't even like myself most of the time. If we can understand that, we can move ourselves, with the help of the Holy Spirit, more into where it is God has us to be. Accepting ourselves for who we are, broken clay pots, joined together with a whole bunch of other people, broken clay pots, unified in the grace of God through the love of Christ, trying to figure out what God has for us in this world in order that Jesus may be glorified and God the Father be honored. You see, and these types of problems make themselves very evident in Acts chapter 6, very evident if we park ourselves here for a little while. People put together by God's grace at this moment in time because of the common faith among them. They all had come to a relationship with this Jesus as the risen king and the Messiah and the promised one. Yet what was happening here is it wasn't all just a bunch of happy-go-lucky Jewish people anymore. You see, what happened is we have Jews and Gentiles, Greeks. That's a no-no. They normally wouldn't hang out together as friends. In fact, they wouldn't hang out together at all. Because the Greeks are a defiled pagan people. Unless, of course, they bowed to the ways of the law and they became proselytes, okay? Like Nicholas in this list. He had converted himself to Judaism. And even then, he'd only be able to stand in the back of the synagogue. But at least he was in the door. You see, so we have a fracturing here that God is putting together That begins, the cracks begin to show why. Because we have human beings that are involved. It began to affect the church and the gathering here in Jerusalem based upon how they looked at one another. Based upon the ethnicity of the people that were being gathered. Now let that just settle in in your spirits. And look around the world. Read your newspaper for a minute. Have we fixed that problem? Have we fixed that problem in the church? No, we haven't. We haven't. We have to see this because 2,000 years on, we still don't get this. Our default nature is to be comfortable with who we know, how we know them. Do you look like me? Are you from where I'm from? I have more fun with a Southie from Boston than I do with somebody from Newport. Not that it's wrong from Newport, but I'm not from there. We have to force ourselves to see how God sees things. See, the upside to this, if we can discover this as a church, is that God always has just what we need to fix this problem. That's the beauty of the scriptures. And not only does he have what we need to fix the problem, he has what we need to fix the problem right in the midst of the problem. Think about that. Right in the midst of the problem. It's going to take us a little while to get through this, but I think it's worth our time. You see, because what we find here is that growth brings about its own set of challenges. The church has exploded. And growth itself is bringing about its own set of challenges, and it will always force some sort of change. People who not normally would gather together are now gathered together. Acts chapter 6.1 describes us for, for us the problem that came about as Christians as they gathered to worship, but as human beings they defaulted back to what they typically do along ethnic lines. Don't miss this. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, the church is growing. A complaint by the Hellenists, that's the Greeks or the Gentiles, whatever word you want to use, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. That's a painful thing to read, if we want to look at it for exactly what it says. Because it seems that those who were in charge of giving out the food to the people who needed to eat, the community of believers, the people who weren't Jewish people, We're still functioning as second-class citizens and not getting what was necessary on a daily basis, specifically the women. Now, not to read beyond where Luke takes us here in this text, but we ought to see that, again, nothing has really changed if we aren't careful. Unless we make a conscious decision to tear these types of barriers down, we will always be reinforcing these types of barriers because that is our default position, every one of us, myself included, We have to watch ourselves. And we do so a lot of times without even knowing that we're doing it. You see, if we forget to focus on the grace of God, which called us as we were and is making us what we are to become, we're going to see people through fallen worldly eyes if we don't focus correctly instead of through the eyes of Jesus. We have to be careful. It's so easy to default. You see, because if we're honest, let's think about this. As followers of Jesus... There isn't one of us sitting in here today that really wants people to be oppressed. We all want to see justice. We want to see the widow taken care of. We want to see children fed. We want peace. Why? Because the King of Kings says this is what we ought to be working for. And when we see injustices in the world... And when we see people pushed off to the margins based upon the color of their skin, where it is they come from, their socioeconomic standings, we're failing. As a human race, we're failing if we aren't careful. We don't want that. None of us want that. None of us want that. But we can miss the truth that sometimes in our forgetfulness, we fail to see every human being the way that Jesus sees every human being. Broken clay pots, whom he died for, who he shed his blood for, who he redeemed. This could have destroyed the community of believers right then and there. If some Greek men, I assume, were the ones probably that came and had the conversation. If they didn't gather up the courage to go before the apostles, this would have destroyed the community because verse 2 tells us that the 12 summoned the full number of disciples. Okay, So what happens here is that the entire church is gathered before the disciples. Why? Because this was a church-wide issue. If it was an issue between brother A and brother B, The apostles would have said, brother A, get brother B, and let's have a conversation because that's how it works. But because this was affecting the entire church, the apostles said they summoned the full number of the disciples and they said it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Oh, there's a good answer. There's a good answer. Sometimes we can easily miss this because we are far too familiar with the story and we focus on the food question and we focus on the table-serving question. What we need to see is that even in this early state of the church, the church had a leadership construct. These people knew who to go to, they had defined roles on how that leadership looked and how the members were supposed to operate within that. For those who we now see as elders, right here in Acts chapter 6, there were roles and there were responsibilities, and the task of these men was spiritual oversight of the entire congregation, not waiting tables. Not waiting tables. Now, it's not that these men couldn't handle these issues, because now here's where it gets fun. It's not that they couldn't handle these issues, nor was it an arrogance piece or a lazy issue, as if they just, this is beneath us, we don't don't do these types of things. It's not that at all. It was an assignment issue and a role issue. These men had assignments of their own that were given to them by God through the Holy Spirit. So it's not the question of capability, nor is it the question of capacity. It is actually a question of, are we actually supposed to do this? Or is this supposed to be somebody else that does this? You see, this is why they make it very clear that their task, called by God, is to preach. Anything at all which takes away from that task needs to be given to others. Not that it doesn't matter, not that they don't have the ability to do it, but it needs to be given to others. Or else, it will be drawing those men away from what it is God has called them to do, and what assignment has been given to them, and the community itself overall begins to suffer. Because they are now being drawn away from the task that they are supposed to be dealing with. Why? Because even though Peter could probably wait on tables, as well as all of the others, it wasn't actually for them to do. It wasn't for them to do. They're going to lose focus. And they're going to keep others in the body. And this is important to understand. They will keep others in the body from becoming active in ministry and discipled into positions of effectiveness as a believer if the apostles did everything. So what ends up happening is you can have someone who's sitting in a chair somewhere who's fully capable of doing this. But if the leadership team shrinks it down to two or three people that do everything, what you have is a bunch of people who aren't doing everything. you got three people who are. That's not what they were for. That's not what they were about. They want to make sure that people are being raised up into active ministry. This type of thinking on the part of many pastors today, I discover, and their congregations as well, is what keeps so many churches so small and so dependent on one to three people overall for absolutely every single thing that goes on in that church. And it's an unsettling thing as we try to grow beyond that for any group of people. It's an important principle that we see being developed here very early on as they're faced with this really big challenge. They're raising others up for leadership as well as for the works of ministry. See, the apostles waste no time in decentralizing tasks, but not without oversight. Not without oversight. 3 and 4 of chapter 6 Therefore brothers pick out from among you 7 men of good repute full of the spirit and of wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty but we will devote ourselves to what prayer and to the ministry of the word So there's a few things that the apostles do here 3 in fact first what they do is they empower they empower these folks to do what they need to do You go pick the 7 people We're not going to do it you go pick them why 7 I haven't got a clue Not a clue. Probably because that would have met the need that was there at the time. Go pick seven. Okay, go get them. It really doesn't matter because Luke doesn't explain it. But if we're going to grow in a healthy way, we aren't going to pick them. We want you men to go pick them. We empower you to go pick them. But it's not devoid of instruction. First, they're empowered to go get them. Second, the apostles define for them what it is that they'll be looking for when they go get them. Don't just pick on anybody walking down the street going, dude, we need somebody to hand this out. No. No, you have instructions. There's a few requirements. They need to have a good reputation. They can't be somebody who has a bad reputation or is questionable. They need to have wisdom, and they need to be full of the Spirit. Don't just bring anybody to us. After all, this isn't a school board. This isn't a popularity contest. This isn't a political contest. This is leadership in the local church. So they've been empowered, they've been given definitions on what it is they're supposed to do, and third, and possibly the most important, they're released. They're released for active ministry. Once you find these men, bring them back to us, and we'll appoint them. Now, why do they do that? Why do they do that? Anybody who's ever been in a position of leadership in any kind of construct in this world in the business you can delegate responsibilities all day long to somebody but if you don't delegate along with that the authority to carry out those responsibilities you're sending that person on a fool's errand every time that person then asks somebody to do something they go running right back to the very people who tried to decentralize it and say are you sure that's okay or they just simply ignore the people altogether as somebody who doesn't have any kind of authority over them So what they're doing is they release them for active ministry, but they don't do so without some sort of recognition. You want to think about this. These people who came to the apostles with this complaint were more than likely Greeks, correct? They already weren't being listened to, were they? If they were, we wouldn't be talking about this today, would we? No. So to just send them out on about their way, going, here, go ahead and do this, it wouldn't have worked. Why on earth would the Hebrews come to complain? They had a good gig going. They were never without. They weren't being neglected in the whole grand scheme of things, were they? No, without the authority imparted by the apostles, this would end up, again, a fool's errand for these people. And they would be right back to square one, wrestling this through over and over with everyone gathered. However, with everyone gathered, why? Because it is a church-wide issue. So, in a very loving and gentle way, If you ain't got a church-wide issue, don't make it a church-wide issue, brothers and sisters. Don't make it a church-wide issue. Because the more people you pull into that loop, the more people now have to have explanation as to what may or may not have happened in the whole grand scheme of what that little fest looked like. This here, however, impacted the entire body. So with every single person gathered in order to see and to hear what the apostles were going to do, they brought these men before the leadership of this infant church, and what they said pleased the whole gathering, so they did. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Pilcherus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, all eyes upon them, and what did they do? They prayed, and they laid their hands on them in order that they could do what they're supposed to now I want you to notice the names many of you probably have already done this but you know it's good to be reminded with the exception of Philip and possibly possibly Stephen all these names are Greek all of these names are Greek they're not Hebrew so I think it's very safe for us to take a look at this and say this that all the men that were picked for this task regardless of the name were Greek men they were Greek men And that's a wonderful way to ensure what? Balance and equal representation within the body of Christ. We got a problem where the Greek women are being affected. So what do we do? Hey, go get guys for us. They bring them up. It's Greek men who are going to be uniquely suited to understand the issues that are going on. To understand the issues that are going on. See, God works in the very simple and the mundane, doesn't he? I was sharing this earlier with somebody. We Charismatics and we Pentecostals have these big problems. We're waiting for this, where Jesus just hops on the end of the bed and gives us our divine moment and this epiphanal thing that, okay, now I know what I'm supposed to do. Now, 99% of the time, the God of all creation works in the mundane and the simple. He works in the logical. He works in the easy. He uses simple, regular things to affect healthy growth and conflict resolution. You got a problem with people, we'll use people to fix the problem with people. Jesus isn't going to come down off the right hand of God the Father and say, now you children behave. No, no. it's not what he does. Now, uh, Some are going to feel that this seems a bit arrogant and lazy on the part of the apostles. Why are they doing this? Why are they just sloughing this off? Why can't they simply take care of it? That's what they're paid for after all. And a lot of pastors hear that today. It's your job. It's what you're paid for. Get it done. From a natural perspective, I understand that. From a worldly point of view, I also understand that. But a pastor and elders are a calling. It's not a job. I used to be a quality systems manager. That was a job. Goodness knows it wasn't a calling because it was painful for me to do every day. (laughs) But here in the text, what we have here, we find perfect balance. We don't want to run the risk of being a church that prefers their pastor to be a chaplain who just kinda oversees all of the things that need to happen, micromanaging everything without ever moving forward before it first clears the pastor. It's not that the pastor doesn't have oversight. It's not that the pastor doesn't know what's going on. But when you do that, you bottleneck everything. You bottleneck everything and that becomes unhealthy. Again, we have perfect balance here. There's prayerful oversight, there's defined parameters, and there's a releasing into ministry. Healthy church. It's not that the apostles didn't care. And it's not that they were not paying attention to these things or training these deacons. They were doing all of that. Part of their job was to give oversight but not micromanagement. They released these men to do what they were supposed to do. And they were very focused and confident on what it was God had assigned them to. Ministry and prayer. God has an order for his church and it functions most healthy when that church follows that order. All churches function more healthy when they follow the order that God gives them. Membership then means that all parts of the body are operating in the way in which they're supposed to operate, within the confines of what your giftings are, what your calling is, in support of the overall local congregation, and then the body at large. That's how we're supposed to work. It's essential, most especially when we're dealing with these issues of inequality. We have to be very sensitive and watch out for that. That we look at them with clear heads and clear eyes. Rather than how we may feel at the moment about these types of things. Feelings are a dangerous, dangerous thing. And this can only happen when each part is focused on its role. See, this is actually why the apostles almost seemed a little bit arrogant about the whole thing. They were very confident. Confident to the point of almost sounding a little bit snooty and aloof. They weren't. They had just been doing exactly what God had called them to do. Well enough to see that the minute this began to happen, this was what was necessary, and they gave the instructions accordingly. And it worked out very well. This is how it's supposed to work, with godly confidence and focus. They didn't get drawn into the bickering, the backbiting, the fighting. None of that stuff. You don't see that here in the text, do you? None of it. None of that stuff they were drawn into. Not at all. What they ended up doing here is they laid hands on these men, they prayed, trusting them to the task to which they were called and establishing all at the same time a second level of leadership right within the early church. Why? They needed to multiply themselves because the church was exploding. Twelve men couldn't handle what they had in front of them. So they took twelve men and they turned that 12 men into 19 people. And goodness knows how that spidered out from there. We don't know. All of this happened because the church was growing. And as with any form of growth pain, any doctor will tell you, yep, that's a growth pain. It hurts. It hurts. And we all know that, but to grow forward means developing things in a healthy way and doing things different than it was done before. They had to do it different. Why? Because growth. That's why. And within growth, we learn... Growth brings change. It has to. But you see, God knew exactly what was needed. And God knows even today for you, for me, for this church, for every church on this planet, exactly what is needed. Just as with these seven men, we discover something that I had read over and over and over again, but never really put the pieces together. So Pastor Marquardt and I, some of you may know him. You've heard of him before. Okay? We were talking on this passage some time back. I don't know, months ago, I was wrestling this through, and he was talking to me about it. And he said, have you ever noticed verse 7? Okay, and my wittiness, I said, yeah, it comes right after verse 6 and just before 8. <laughs> so what? <laughs> you have that. We have a good relationship, and it's probably a good thing. And you would have thought I'd picked up on this verse, being what it is we just learned about this passage. But he said, okay, read it to me, being the good pastor that he is. So I said, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of priests became obedient to the faith. Okay. <laughs> he said two things to me on the phone. Number one, Michael, healthy churches grow, or healthy church growth always starts with good, solid biblical teaching. Get that right and build from there. Number one. Get that right and build from there. And then he said. God knows the needs even before we do. That's what verse seven's all about. God knows the needs even before we do. Ministry and prayer, good, healthy biblical teaching. And God knew the needs. How do we know that? He knew the early church would need men who had preached and handled the altar before. So what does he do? In God's goodness and in God's providence, he was bringing priests to the faith. Why? Because he knew That the church, as it grew and continued to grow in a healthy way, they would be needing priests who knew how to handle leadership positions. It's all right there. Nothing at all has changed. Not a thing. We try new things to attract folks. Some good. Some need to be packed away in the barn and never pulled out again. But some good. New ways to present the message, sometimes that good, some not so much. We sometimes even try, much to our demise, to minimize the message in order to attract people. We can't do that. Taking time away from being in the Word, taking time away from singing, taking time away from praising the Lord, we can't do that. God provides for our needs all the time. Remember that. He did here in Acts chapter 6. See, from worship team folks, as we have people transitioning out, we're very prayerful how that looks as people need to transition in we trust god's going to take care of that but we're going to be active and looking again we're not waiting for that epiphanal moment where i have a drummer fall in the end of my bed and go oh i'm here for you that may happen and if it does i'll let you know but i'm really thinking it probably won't so as we try to land this plane cuz you know we're coming close to the end here i got a couple of things for you from our worship team to our need for a couple of people in kids church we need helpers we continue to grow we need helpers. We've had some people who have been called to other things who have had to step back away from helping in kids' ministry. You know, There's one of, our, one of our teachers back there who could use somebody who could be there one Sunday a month just to help out, just to be there and follow the instruction of the teacher and encourage the kids, show them what it means to be an adult Christian, how important they are to us. Those are one of the things that we need to take a look at. I would challenge you to be prayerful in. Our youth pastor... We don't know who they are yet. They don't know who we are yet. But we know that at this moment, if we believe the scriptures, God is preparing that person. Now, I'm not sitting back and staring at the dust bunnies in the corner. I'm calling on the phone every day, every other day, trying to figure out if the district has anything. I call colleges. We got the jobs posted. We're very prayerful. In God's time and in his goodness, he will provide exactly what we need when we need it. And this is an encouraging thing as we get ourselves ready for our exciting annual meeting. And with this, I close. Our roof repair. We talked about tithing last week, remember? Okay? That ever exciting sermon. When we discovered that we were right around 6,000 short, I believe it was, for our roof, we went into prayer as a board and we said, okay, we'll take a special one-time offering. That's what we're going to do. We need to about 6000 to cover the cost. You know how much came in? $6600. Okay? See, when we trust that the God who has put us here together and knit us together for his purposes will fulfill all of his promises in and through his people. The funny thing happens every single time he does without doubt, without fail. It may take a little longer than we think. It may be a little bit unsettling for us. And it may not even be exactly the way we like it. But much like Acts chapter 6, we find a whole bunch of people who are learning how to get along with another group of a whole bunch of people who they would have never given the time of day to. I could have the worship team. And if I could have those who are going to pray, if you could just take your places, please. I just want to close with this, an encouragement for you. You know, this is a great place for us to just settle before the Lord. They have a couple of extra songs for us at the end. I would encourage you, if if you don't want to stay for that worship, that's okay. But there's a few people here today that could certainly use that extra time. So if you would just be kind enough to work your way towards the back and out, grab a coffee, find Fellowship Hall, whatever you'd like to do for a bit. But for those of you who are in need of prayer, I'd encourage you, don't leave here today until you you stand with one of these elders, one of these deacons and their wives or their husbands, and, and just get prayer today. God is a God who hears. He cares for you and he wants to work with you and he wants you to come to him and bring your burdens to him.